This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to continue our series today on It Really Happened. And I want to say for me, I've really enjoyed the series. It's been uh, very inspirational. I've learned a great deal. And it certainly built up my faith in things that I thought I knew something about. And on some of these things, I didn't know a lot about. Uh, my task that was given to me is the destruction of Jerusalem. And probably it would be the topic that's the least debated whether or not it happened. And so it's easy for me to say that it really happened. Now, I will say this, Jace said a couple of times that he was not an expert, and I'm not an expert either, but I will say this, you do not have to be an expert when you study these things and you look at these things because there's a ton of information that's available to you today to study about these kinds of things. And so the destruction of Jerusalem will not be a very scientific topic. There's not a great deal of archaeology, though there is a little. It is more in the realm of history and so that's the way we're going to approach it mostly. I want you to notice a quote from Jesus and something that Jesus said to the people of Jerusalem, to his followers. He says, when you shall see all these things, know it is near, even at the doors. And so Jesus, in his describing the things that we're going to talk about today was letting people know these things that I'm telling you, I'm telling you these things so you will know when this is about to happen. And so part of the nature of his words to the people were a warning. And you know, I have people that I have confidence in. We all have people we have confidence and trust in. We believe that what they say is true. And when those people come to us and give us a warning, we tend to listen. And if the words of Jesus are not true, then people wouldn't listen. Certainly people wouldn't have listened. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about the history of Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem, the word Salem is basically means peace. And Jeru means double or double peaceful. It's kind of the idea. There are other people who believe it means there were two hills of peace. And the city had kind of two main hills in the city. So maybe the name means two hills of peace or double peace. Which is very interesting because Jerusalem's been anything but peaceful. It has been a city torn by war in almost all of its existence. So it's very interesting that it's, it, the, the, the name is that. So if we have a timeline, we'll go back. And Abraham offered Isaac about 1,850 years before Jesus. Jesus is going to be the life of Jesus way down here uh, around 30 or 33 A.D. And so as Jace described, we've got B.C., which I always remember as before Christ, and A.D. is after Jesus was dead, essentially. And so almost 2,000 years before Jesus... We have Abraham offering Isaac, uh, and God says to Abraham, Get thee to the land of Moriah. 
And I'll tell you what you're going to do when you go there. And I don't know if this is the actual what Abraham looked like, so uh, a, gra- a little grace on that. But Abraham takes uh, Isaac, and he raises up the knife to slay and kill Isaac, and the angel stays his hand. Certainly there were people in and around the area of Jerusalem before, but Jerusalem was certainly in one of the hills of Moriah, which is the way it was described back then. Evidently, there were people who were living in and around what we would call Jerusalem all the way back to about 3,500 years before Jesus, which would have been a place called Gihon Springs, and that place is still there uh, to this day. A few years later, around 1000 BC, King David conquered Jerusalem as part of the conquest of uh, the land of Canaan, of the promised land. And so David conquered Jerusalem and he made it to be the capital of his city, Israel. David was a man of war. He wanted to build a temple to God. And God said, you're a bloody man. And he said, it's not for you to do. And so David, instead of building the temple, he gathered the materials. The stone, the wood, the gold, and the silver. David sort of gathered up everything that it was going to take to build the temple. And then his son Solomon built the temple. Now it's interesting because it took Solomon about seven or eight years to build. And it was magnificent uh, in the sense of it was beautiful. It was magnificent in the sense that God told them exactly what to build and how to build it. And this happened in about 960 B.C., uh, roughly 40 years after David. And so the children of Israel had a permanent temple. Before this, they had had a tabernacle as they traveled around. But now that they've conquered the, the promised land, Solomon builds the temple as a permanent structure where the priest dwelt and where they offered their sacrifices within the temple was a holy place and then the holy of holies and in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant and this was the most sacred place most sacred thing to the people of Israel so this is about 960 BC uh, and so you go on a little bit well I, I found this I don't know this is exactly it but uh, this is an artist a rendering, you would have the altar here and the smoke going up and then the temple itself with the uh, holy of holies and then out here is the golden laver, etc. Now then, in 586, the, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem with the temple. This happened in November of this year 586, some say 587, it's all very close. Uh, I'm sure this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar looked like, I don't know. Uh, But nevertheless, he was Babylonian, and when he conquered the city of Jerusalem, he took all the Jews and he carried them away to Babylon. And this is where we get uh, some of our famous scriptures. Uh, There's a passage in Psalms, by the rivers of Babylon... And we sing a song about it. Also, this is where we get Daniel, the prophet. He didn't live in Israel. He lived in Babylon. And he served Nebuchadnezzar and other Babylonian kings. We get Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. All those uh, accounts from the scripture were under Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. And so Nebuchadnezzar uh, 
didn't last terribly long. Uh, he is conquered by a Persian by the name of Cyrus, the king of the Persians. And Cyrus comes along and overtakes what Nebuchadnezzar had. And Cyrus says to the Jews, I'm going to let you go back to Jerusalem. And so he did. And he turned them loose. He set them free. And they loved him for that. And so Cyrus uh, looked like this, which was a very noble figure. And the people of Israel really liked the guy because he let them go home. And so they went back to uh, Jerusalem and they began to build a second temple. Now, uh, Solomon's took about seven years. The second one took about four and a half years. And so they did it a lot quicker. But one of the things about the second temple was that it wasn't nearly as nice. And so you can tell by this picture, it's not nearly as nice looking. Uh, but they... They had to build it quickly. There were a lot of enemies at the time. If you read the book of, of uh, Ezra, uh, you learn a lot about this uh, in the book of Ezra. And so they rebuilt this temple, and they did it rather quickly, and they say it wasn't quite as nice. And so time marched along there uh, from 516 B.C. This was when the second temple was finished all the way up to about 63 B.C. And in 63 B.C., Jerusalem comes under Roman authority. And so we, we get this information through history, and it's also through the Bible as well. You have the succession of world powers. And so we have Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we have Cyrus, who was a Medo-Persian. And ultimately, we come to the Romans as they begin to control the city. And they set up a what they called a client king. The Roman Caesars said, we want you to be the king over this area and we want you to make sure that the taxes come in and that people are happy and, and then more taxes will come in. And that was the idea for the Caesar who was in Italy, in Rome. And so they set up Herod to be this client king. And I want to give you a little bit of information about Herod because he's an important person in this story. In about 40 BC, the Roman Senate appointed Herod, later known as Herod the Great. It's interesting that he's Herod the Great because people who were Jewish would not really have thought of him maybe as the Great because he was really ruthless. He would murder people. He would murder his own sons. He was the guy who went to Bethlehem and he rounded up all the babies and killed all the babies in Bethlehem because he was trying to kill Jesus. And so he was ruthless. He wanted to keep his power. He was willing to do whatever he had to do to keep power. And he's known as the Great, Herod the Great, probably because he built a lot of magnificent buildings and structures. Herod had previously served as the governor of Galilee. He was a personal friend of Mark Antony, if you're a... a History buff, Mark Antony was a guy who uh, joined up with Cleopatra, and they both end up dying in Egypt. Uh, he had wanted to be the, the Caesar. He didn't make that. Before Mark Antony, he's defeated by Octavian. That's when they died. Herod uh, later became a friend of Octavian, who became the first Roman emperor as Caesar Augustus. And then Herod ruled Judea for about 36 years, which he began many huge building projects. I'm talking enormous, 
including the building of a new temple in Jerusalem for the worship of God. From the beginning of the temple project in 19 BC, it took 46 years to complete the main building, another 36 years to finish the entire temple complex. He expanded it from a small area to include 37 acres. And so what Solomon did in seven years and what happened in Ezra's day in four and a half, Herod spent years and years and years and just poured money into building this enormous, beautiful temple. Uh, This wasn't the only building product. He had a lot of other huge building projects we just won't even get into. Uh, It required a tremendous amount of labor and money. The new temple was said to be larger and more beautiful than the one that Solomon built. The historian Josephus said that much of the exterior of the temple was covered with gold that reflected the fiery rays of the sun. Moreover, he said that from a distance the temple appeared like a mountain covered in snow. Probably because those parts that were not covered with gold were made of white stone. From what is said in many writings about Herod's temple, it was indeed a magnificent structure of awesome proportions. Uh, This is from the historian B.L. Cockerell. And then we have Jesus crucified. This is in about 30 to 33 A.D. We, We can argue about the numbers. It's there about. This may not be what your Jesus looks like. As I showed Zane this picture, he said, I don't think that's a a big enough hill Uh, to me. I don't know. but So this tells you from here we're into A.D. Jerusalem and under Herod is back here. And then in 70 A.D., Titus destroys Jerusalem. Titus was a general. His father was named Vespasian. He was the Caesar at the time. Those Caesars were always coming and going. But Titus rolls in to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And part of the reason is a couple of things. One, Rome was polytheistic. And the word polytheism or polytheistic means they believed in multiple gods. And so the Romans had all kinds of gods. And one of the great ones to them was Jupiter. And they had temples to Jupiter, they had temples to Saturn, they had temples to other gods. They didn't all have to do with names of planets like we might would think. But they didn't have any problem with the Jews' religion, but they had a problem with the Jews believing there's one God. And the Jews, like you and I, were monotheistic, one God people. There's one And this was a source of conflict with the Jews because the Romans wanted them to be good to all the Roman gods. The Romans would have much preferred if they would have offered a few sacrifices along the way to all the Roman gods. And for heaven's sakes, at least pray for the Caesar. And every once in a while, sacrifice something for the Caesar. That was kind of the way the Romans looked at all that. Of course, the Jews weren't going to do that. They weren't going to have that. Uh, because they didn't believe those things at all. And so Titus rolls in there because there's been a revolt, and the Jews had revolted against Rome. They didn't want those Romans in there. They didn't want to be under that authority. And in 70 AD, after many months, Titus rolls into Jerusalem, and he destroys not only the city, but he destroyed the temple. Now, 
the Romans surrounded the city. We're going to talk about this in some more detail. Uh, how well you can see the picture here that I've got, I don't know. But uh, I've got several here. The Romans also built what we would call breastworks. Uh, they built earthen ramps up to the walls of the city. They built these big siege towers. They had ladders. They had catapults. They had battering rams. They were very serious. And if you ever watch Lord of the Rings, there's a whole lot of scenes of war where cities are attacked. It had to be very similar. They made war on this city. Uh, and ultimately, they broke through the walls a little bit at a time. And then they broke in and they got into the temple area and, and there was a great battle. Uh, the Jews who were there very literally went crazy and just threw themselves bodily and physically on the Romans. And just, it was, it was biting, it was stabbing, it was a very brutal, brutal fight. And ultimately, in some way, nobody really knows how, the Jews blamed the Romans and the Romans blamed the Jews. Somebody lit fire, set fire to the temple and it began to burn. And ultimately, Titus and his forces broke down every wall and they come into the city and they utterly destroyed the temple. They utterly destroyed the city. They killed most everyone uh, that they could find there. And so this is 70 ADs. And I just want you to know that it's about 40 years after Jesus and so Jesus is going to make predictions about when this happened and what would happen. And so the time frame is 40 years. By the year 136, Jews are forbidden within the city of Jerusalem. This comes from the Caesars. And not only the Jews, but Christians as well. And so I want you to get this in your mind that when Titus came in and destroyed the city, well... Christianity was in its infancy, it was just starting out, and there was still Judaism, but they could no longer practice their sacrifices because the temple had been destroyed, and a lot of those things had been carried away. But Jews, in about 136, are forbidden in the city, and this lasts for about 200 years. Well, by the 330s, when you add 200 years, Rome became a Christian nation quasi-Christian their rulers became Christian and this is part of the way we got the Roman Catholic Church and all its power and influence and so this came to an end but this is what happened not only was the city destroyed it was destroyed but Jews were run out where they couldn't even be there in that city so we're going to move ahead in history in 638 Muslims conquer the city of Jerusalem. Uh, this is Caliph Umar, which was the father-in-law of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. And they come in and they begin to dominate the Middle East. They begin to dominate the area of Jerusalem and what we would call Israel today. And then in 691 AD, Muslims build the Dome on the Rock. And here is a picture today of the Dome on the Rock and it is a shrine is what we would call it and it is setting on the, the location where the temple was so where the Jews had built 
three different times in Jerusalem. Solomon and the people who came back from Cyrus the Persian and ultimately Herod. Where they had done all their building, now the Muslims come in and they build this structure, the Dome on the Rock. And here's a larger picture of a greater part of the city. But right there is where the temple set and it's still there today. So we're talking about 1,330 years the Dome on the Rock has stood. Now, just for a little bit of trivia, the temples, the three temples stood for about 1,000 years. So the Dome on the Rock has been there 300 years longer than the temples ever stood there. And so you can imagine if the Jews were to go in here today and were to try to put up a new temple or if they were to try to build an altar the Muslims of the world would lose their minds and it'd be World War III was what it would be now I don't know how well you can see this but right here is called the Wailing Wall I'll show you folks over here it's right here and it is the closest thing to part of the temple that is left. And it really wasn't a part of the temple. It's a part of the retaining wall that Herod built going up to the temple. That is the closest things that's left. And there are thousands of Jews every year that travel to the Wailing Wall and they cry there. They weep and they lament because their temple's gone. And uh, that's just a little more trivia for you. Uh, And... 199 A.D., you've heard of the Crusades. There were Christians from Europe that decided it ain't right for the Holy Land to be in the situation. It's not right for the Muslims to have it. And the Christians in Europe said it's not right for the Jews to have it. It ought to be Jesus' place. And so they began to crusade. And there's first, second, and third crusades. There's tons of history in all this. And I certainly don't have time There's a lot of names of people that we really are not that familiar with. But the first crusade in 1099, uh, Christians, quasi-Christians from Europe went to the Holy Land and they killed Muslims and Jews alike. They slaughtered lots of people. And here's a little bit of map. There were people from France uh, and like I say from Italy and all over uh, Western Europe that traveled all the way down here to conquer the Holy Lands. And in that war, they built up uh, some crusader states. There was some them states that essentially became Christian-governed for a little bit of time. But the truth is, if you really study this out, this only lasts, these Christian states last about 100 years or 150, and they fall. They just They go down there and they conquer it, but they don't have the resources to stick with it. And then in 15 and 17, Jerusalem becomes a part of the Ottoman Empire. Now, the Ottomans were Muslims. Uh, this was Sultan Selim I, and he came in and he conquered Jerusalem. And so once again, uh, the city was in the hands of the Muslims or in control of the Muslims. And they ruled for about 400 years until in 1917 as part of World War I. The British go in and they defeat the Ottomans. And they control Jerusalem. And so the British for several years have control of Jerusalem. And then at the end of World War II in 1948, and so this was the year that Pappy was born, the UN voted essentially for Israel to be a state 
once again. And so from 70 A.D., when Titus destroyed it, all the way till 1948, there was no Israel. There was no Judah. They had no power. They had no authority. And in, in those years, from 70 A.D. till 1948, most Jews fled into Europe. Most Jews. They went to Russia. They went to Germany. They went to Poland. They went to all these European countries because nobody in what we would call Jerusalem or the Holy Land, wanted them there. They wanted them gone. And so they all fled into uh, Europe. So in 1948, Israel is declared by the United Nations a country again, and they take over control of half the city of Jerusalem. Not all of it, but half. Guess who controlled the other half? The Muslims. We would call them the Palestinians. That's who controlled the other half. And then in 1967, we had the Six Days War, and Israel, backed largely by the U.S., went to war on Egypt and Syria and Jordan, and they had a six-day-long war, and Israel won, and they drove out those other countries out of the city of Jerusalem. And in 1967, the Jews, the Israelites, once again had total control of their city. And so I told Zane I didn't think it'd take five minutes to go through that. I think I was wrong. I think it probably took 20. Uh, so here's you a history, a brief history of the city. It, it's been a city of war. I mean, it's just been conquered and conquered and conquered and conquered again. If you look on the news, if you watch news, every little while they're discovering something in Israel that they didn't know was there. They're finding just... Here the other day, they found the pool of Siloam. It's 50 acres. 50 acres. How, how could you not know where a 50-acre swimming pool is? They lost it. Well, the reason is they hadn't controlled this place for 2,000 years. And so the, the, Israel, the people of Israel that are there are, are always learning about this. I want to go just over some archaeology briefly. There's some things that are interesting, and they'll back all this up. One is the Arch of Titus. It's not even in Jerusalem. So you might say, well, why does that have to do with it? Titus was the general who won the victory and destroyed the city uh, in 70 A.D., but he dies in about 80 A.D., and then his brother Domitian becomes the emperor, and Domitian decided to build this arch to commemorate the victory of Titus, his brother. And so this arch that's in Rome is roughly... 2,000 years old, almost 2,000 years old, and it was dedicated for the victory. And so really no rational person today would say it's not true. The destruction of Jerusalem never happened. It, it is true. It certainly happened because there's evidence that's just overwhelming that it did. Uh, I'll try to figure out a way to include some of this information in, in, uh, in Spanish, but Here's another picture, and I know how well you can see this. This is a relief on part of that. And what this depicts is Roman soldiers carrying away the sacred parts of the temple. That's what this is showing. And you can see here they're carrying the, what the Jews called the menorah. This was the seven golden candlesticks. 
they carried it away. Uh, let me look here at my notes. I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, golden trumpets, the fire pans for removing ashes from the altar, the tables of showbread are all depicted in, in this part of the wall that was the Arch of Titus. And so this is part of the evidence that certainly happened. It did happen. Another thing that's been discovered here just recently is Roman catapults. And so the Roman army was great and they had a lot of resources. And so they built catapults to throw stones at the walls of Jerusalem. And these are uh, ballast stones or ballist stones that they have found at the base of some of those walls. And this is all just pretty recent. Uh, the Jews have been unearthing all this stuff. And in fact, they've done a lot of studies and they figured out where the catapults set, essentially from trajectories and whatnot. They say these stones could weigh up to 75 pounds and they could throw them 1,300 feet. And so they were sitting way back here and throwing stones in against the walls. Here's another picture of part of this area. All that's archaeology that's been found. Uh, here's a link where you can find this stuff if you want. Here's a battering ram. I think this particular battering ram, it's on the end of an enormous tree or log. It's cast out of bronze. This one was found in Romania. So this one didn't come from Jerusalem, but certainly something very similar to this was taken and used to bash the walls in Jerusalem. Uh, something very similar could have been used there. The Romans also had projectiles that they threw from catapults. Uh, you think of this as an enormous crossbow that they, would, they built and they flung arrows, giant arrows into the city. And these are iron tips that they've discovered that all come from that era of time within the city. So certainly there's evidence that the city, uh, from archaeology, that the city was attacked. What the problem with it is it was attacked over and over and over again. But all these things are Roman in nature. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to go through a little bit of history on this with you. By the summer of 68 A.D., Jews were nearing defeat by the Roman legions. And in 69 AD, Vespasian, which was the father of Titus, was made emperor of Rome. And he gave his son Titus the honor of delivering the final death blows to the rebellious Jews in their capital city. In the Wars of the Jews, book 6, Josephus notes that on the eighth day of the Roman month, Louis... This is the Jewish month, Abe. The ramps were finished and Titus ordered the battering rams brought up and made ready for an assault on the temple. With the battering rams in place, the Roman siege of Jerusalem, which began at Passover that year, would come to an end. And so every year on Passover, a lot of Jews went to the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And Rome, these generals were very smart. They said, we'll wait. And let every, all these Jews come into the city and then we'll surround it. And we won't let anybody in or out. And then they'll all starve quicker. That was their idea. And so at Passover, which was several months before, this month, uh, Abe 
is November would be corresponding with November. As soon as the walls were breached on the 9th of Abe in 70 AD, the Roman military force of about 30,000 troops under command of Titus marched into Jerusalem and began a systematic slaughter of the Jews and the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem exactly as Jesus foretold 40 years earlier. The Romans brutally slaughtered an estimated 600,000 people in Jerusalem, including many of the Passover visitors who had been trapped there for 143 days during the Roman siege. Many of the people who were not killed by the Roman soldiers were shipped off to the gladiatorial games, to Roman mines, and otherwise exiled from Judea and scattered throughout the Roman Empire and other nations. By the year 73 AD, all traces of a self-ruling Jewish nation had completely disappeared. Josephus records that the Romans put the city and the temple to the torch and that these fires were still burning a month later on the eighth day of the Roman month, Gorfrius. The magnificent temple that Herod had built was completely destroyed as the fires raged inside and out. The fires were so hot that the gold fittings and the gold gilding inside and on its outside walls melted and ran into the cracks between and in the stones. During the pillaging of the temple, these stones were broken up to get at the gold, therefore fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that no stone would be left on another. The destruction was total just as Jesus foretold. The temple Solomon built was destroyed by fire on the 9th of Abe, 586 B.C. 657 years later on the 9th of Abe in 70 A.D., the temple that Herod built was also destroyed. Very ironic. You might would say this all comes from the book Destruction of the Temple, B.L. Cockrell. Okay, I want to look at the words of Jesus. There's two main sources in the New Testament. That would be Matthew 24 uh, and Luke 21. These are very similar in nature, and both of these chapters cover the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, within these chapters is information about things that are going to happen at the end, the judgment day. And so they are challenging in some ways for some people because we say this whole chapter is about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is true. But... Within those pages, there is information about the judgment at the end. And I believe the reason that is is because God is pronouncing a judgment on Israel. He's pronouncing a judgment on the city of Jerusalem. And not only that, he's pronouncing a judgment on their system of belief and their system of worship. Now, if we go back on that timeline, during the days of Solomon, do you remember how many wives he had? 700 wives, right? He had 300 concubines and he built temples. He built groves for those women to worship their false gods. And that began in Solomon's day, 960 years-ish, a thousand years before the temple is destroyed. Solomon brought in false worship and it just continued, 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 continued. And if you read through... uh, the minor prophets and the major prophets, over and again, God warns the children of Israel to change their ways, to tear down the groves, to straighten up, to do right, live right, be right. And they don't. 
And there came a point God had enough. And God's plan was that Jesus was going to redeem man. He was going to be sacrificed and there's going to be a new way, a new testament. And no longer would men worship in Jerusalem. And the church would now be the house of God. The church. And this house of God that was there, this temple was going to go away. He was going to see that it was destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. In 70 AD, little did the Romans know, little did Titus know, he was doing God's work. And he destroyed the city and he destroyed the temple and it's never been back and it's not coming back any day soon. So I want to look at the words of Jesus. Jesus foretold what would happen. Now, we could probably say, people say, well, our country's going to fall. Well, you might be right. You might say the United States is going to fall. Who are we going to fall to? You might be right. You might say China. China's going to get us. Or Russia. And you might be right. When is that going to happen? And exactly what's that going to look like? These are all the kinds of things that Jesus foretold, and he did it quite accurately. So 40 years before it happened, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. I want you to go to the book of Matthew chapter 23, and you may just say, well, Brother Sean, you said it's all in Matthew 24. Well, it is. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, we didn't have chapters in the Bible till about the year 900 B.C., A.D., A.D., 900 A.D., We had verses at 1100. So when the Bible was first written, it wasn't chapter and verse. And they broke up those chapters where they thought is appropriate. So Jesus, if you go back to chapter 23 at the end, I want you to notice what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Did he say, oh, you're a great, wonderful bunch of people. Did he say, you have obediently kept the word of the Lord? No. He looks at the city and he said, you've killed the prophets. You stoned them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Now I want you to notice verse 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You know, if, if you're a Jew, you're sitting there looking at the temple. You're going, really? It's beautiful. Look at it. It's covered in gold. It's the biggest and best one we've ever had. And Jesus says, your house is destroyed. For I say unto you, that ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, all that happened. Just in a few days, he rode into town on a donkey. And they all said it. Now I want you to notice exactly what he says. Your house is left unto you desolate. It was once the Lord's house. It was the Lord's temple. God's own house. But Jesus now said, Your house, your temple is no longer the house of God because God had abandoned not only the temple but he had banded them as a people. It's over. He's put up with your adultery and your harlotry and you're going after other gods for far too long. And now it's coming to end. And this is how Jesus introduced us. 
here at the end of chapter 23 to the chapter that's all about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says this. This is what happened next. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That's where they were. They were in the temple. Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Take a look, Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, this temple, I mean, it was is enormous. They'd worked years and years and years. 36 years? 60 or 70 years? And you're telling me? Now I want to go to Luke 19. And this is the predecessor to what we're going to talk about Luke 21. This is another account. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. If you if you to just understand that God loved you and God wanted you to have peace, God wanted to bless you, but you're, you can't open your eyes and see it. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Guess what happened? The Roman army surrounded them. Just like Jesus said. Surrounded the city. In fact, the Roman army built a wall around the city. Another wall to make sure nobody got in or out. To make sure no food came into the city from outside. And that every one of the Jews that they had trapped in that city stayed in that city. That was the idea. And so Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen. An army's going to surround you. And they're going to cut off your supplies. And this is exactly what happened. You look at the Encyclopedia Britannica online. The Romans encircled the city with a wall to cut off supplies to the city completely and thereby drive the Jews to starvation. And so Jesus foretold what's going to happen. You're going to be surrounded and you're going to be starved. And that's what's coming. Not one stone left upon another. It's pretty specific what he's describing. An army is going to do this. It's not going to be an earthquake. It's not going to just be a fire that destroys you. It's going to be an army and you're going to be surrounded and you're going to starve. That's what he foretold. Number two, he foretold when it would happen. Not just vaguely, it'd be real easy to say America's going to fall. Well, when? A hundred years? Three hundred years? It's easy to throw numbers out. Well, Jesus gives some, some real specifics about this. Matthew 24 and verse 3. He said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be? He just told them all these stones, all this temple, not one stone's going to be left. They said, When? And what shall be the sign of thy coming of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. 
Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted. Now he's talking directly to the disciples. And shall kill you. You're going to be persecuted. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. But Rome hated them. Hated Christians. And then shall many be offended. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise. And shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now listen carefully. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Okay? The gospel is going to be preached to the whole world. And then shall the end come. So he gives a timeline here. He's foretelling what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence and famine. He said, but the gospel's going to go out to all the world. When did that happen, do you think? When did the disciples take the gospel of Jesus to all the world? I'm going to tell you when it happened. It happened by 70 AD. That's when it happened. And then the end was going to come. Matthew 24, verses 32 to 35. Now it's what Jesus says. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. I'm not a fig tree guy. I've never been around them. I like to eat figs, but I don't, I don't know. But I want you to notice the nature of what he describes. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. What happens when we see the the leaves green up. What happens when the trees blood out? What do we go? Spring. We're about to warm up. We're about to be in the summer. I mean, we're smart enough to know that. Beverage says when the buzzards get here, uh, the frost is over. Is that right, Beverage? When the buzzards land out here in Wheeler, frost is over. Beverage smart as these people. Verse 33, so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. This stuff I've been telling you, these things I'm describing to you, you pay attention. And when you see these things, you know that this destruction is at the doors. Verse 34, for verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, he described exactly when it's happening. Here's what's going to happen. Not one stone left on another. An army encircling the city. And then he gives all these warnings. Wars and rumors of war and famine and pestilence and all these things. And it's going to happen in this generation. Right soon. Next 30 or 40 years. That's a generation. You think about it. And then he said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall not pass away. And so Jesus not only foretold what would happen, he foretold when it would happen, and then he described who's going to do it. Matthew 24, verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy 
place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now I want to spend a little time on this because I think it's important. This is a Hebrew expression. Abomination of desolation. And abominable was something that was unclean. That was sinful. Unholy is the idea. And desolation is just that. To make desolate. To destroy. And so Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation. Stand in the holy place. That's what he says. <clears throat> to the Jews, the Gentiles were an abomination. They were unholy. To the Jews, they lived in the holy land. They were holy people. They were God's chosen people. Godly, that was in their mind. That's what they were. And Romans were unholy. They were an abomination. Jews were holy. Romans unholy. Other Gentiles from other lands unholy. That's the idea. I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 28. This, he said unto them, You know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come under one of another nation. You're not even as a Jew supposed to be around these other people. It's not right. Because other people are unholy. And as a Jew, you're holy. And if you're around unholy people, then that's the idea. And that's the thinking to the people that were Jews. This is a stone that had uh, been in Jerusalem in the area of the temple. I couldn't tell you exactly where it is. Uh, this stone is, is in a museum today in Istanbul. And I'm going to read to you what. It's been translated, obviously, because I don't read Hebrew or Greek, but here it is. This stone says, Let no foreigner enter within the parapet. Now, he's talking about the temple area. Let no foreigner enter the parapet and the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught will be held accountable for his ensuing death. Now, this don't make any sense. We want, if you're from some other religion, come into our building. Come into our church. I mean, sit down and be welcome. The Jews, you're going to come into our temple, you're going to die. And they absolutely would have killed anybody that was not Jewish that walked in their temple. Much less have a whole army. Well, this was their line of thinking. Here's another stone that bears a very similar inscription. Uh, this stone here, uh, I believe, is in a uh, museum in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. It has a very similar statement. And so there were stones put up in all these entrances unto the temple area. Do not come in here unless you're a Jew, basically. If you come in here and you're not a Jew, we're going to kill you. That was the idea. So the Roman army has what they called standards. These were emblems uh, of the Rome, of Roman power. Uh, this SPQR basically means the Roman Senate and people, or the Senate and people of Rome. And so they would walk along carrying on these poles, these standards they called them. They were cast out of bronze typically. Uh, they looked golden. Some of them were covered in gold, but they typically would have an eagle and this here is the symbol 
of Rome, just like the United States have a, has a symbol of an eagle. And what does that show? It shows power and strength and all those kinds of things. Another thing about these were they were symbols to their gods. So not all of them had eagles. Some of them had other emblems that were emblematic of their gods. And so the Roman armies, as they marched around, had standard bearers. They were men whose job it was essentially to carry the flag. And they were highly revered. They were very dedicated. And you can see this one right here. He's got a figure, a symbol of the Roman god Jupiter on the top of his spear, of his standard. And so this is the idea. When, he, when they talked about abomination to the Jews, it was an abomination to have an idol. To have any symbol of God would have been abomination. And so what these guys are carrying in is a symbol of Rome, a symbol of a false god. And there's absolutely no way they would want that to be in the area of the temple. Uh, here's another recreation, and you've got these. Uh, basically, these are all symbols to the gods, uh, the Roman Senate and people, and then the emblem of Rome. And so the idea of this being in the temple is an abomination. That's the idea. Uh, you know, most soldiers love their country. Most soldiers of any country, most soldiers of any country love their flag. Uh, the Romans were no different. And uh, in, in sometimes in battles, they lost their standard. And there's, there's multiple sources tell stories about uh, Roman legionnaires who lost their standard in a battle. And they went back for decades to search for that, to find it. Because it, it meant a great deal to them. And so the abomination of desolation, Luke puts it this way, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, you know that the desolation thereof is nigh. So what he's describing is the Romans coming into the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And so Jesus his words are, when you see Rome come into the temple, you'll know. When Rome surrounds the city, you'll know. When the Romans get in there and come in there and destroy, you'll know that's the time. Josephus relates that when the city was taken, the Romans brought their idols into the temple and placed them over the eastern gate and sacrificed to them there. Uh, that's from Jewish Wars. Uh, book 6, chapter 6. And so this would have been something that really resonated. You and I read the term abomination of desolation. Maybe it doesn't mean so much. Matthew 24, verse 15 says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoke by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. He's describing exactly what was going to happen. The Romans were going to come in there. They were going to tear down the city. They were going to go right into the temple with their idols. And evidently that happened. Uh, and so the Roman army is called the abomination or the abomination which makes desolate as it was their job to destroy or make desolate the city of Jerusalem, which they did. Rome began construction of a new city and they named it Aelia Capilina. Aelia came from Hadrian's family name, Aelius, and Capilina meant the new city was dedicated to the Roman god Jupiter Capilinus to whom a temple was built. Guess where that temple was built? 
right on the same side as the Jewish temple. And so the abomination of desolation happened exactly as Jesus described. The Romans went in there, they destroyed it, they carried their idols in, they were unholy, and to the Jews they shouldn't have been in there. They went in there and they built a temple and on the exact spot. Matthew 24, verse 8, Jesus gives one other interesting uh, little bit of information. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The eagle being the symbol of Rome, uh, the carcass being the system of religion. Uh, that's the idea. Uh, the system of Jewish religion was the carcass, and the eagle was going to come there and, and eat it and consume it, and that's what happened because there's still no system of Jewish religion today because it's all gone. So Jesus foretold what would happen. He foretold when it would happen, and he foretold who would do it, which was the Romans. And then finally he warned the Christians, and I want you to notice just a few passages from Luke 21. Jesus said, Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. He's warning Christians, don't come back to the city of Jerusalem. When you see this stuff, you get out. You get away. 22, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. It's been prophesied, Daniel talked about it, that this is coming, this abomination of desolation. And he said, when you see these things, you Christians, you get out. But woe to them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land. From what I've uh, read about, they didn't just destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed every little town and village around. 900 villages the Roman armies destroyed. So there certainly was great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive and into all nations. He's describing what's going to happen. Those Jews are going to be sold in the gladiatorial games and as slaves. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Folks, it really happened. Just like Jesus said, it happened. Now there's no doubt in the time frame. There's no doubt when Jesus said it. There's no doubt as to when it happened. There's no argument as to what year Jerusalem was destroyed. There's no argument as to what happened. And there's no argument as to what Jesus said. He precisely, he accurately, he perfectly predicted. Here's what's coming. And he described the end of the nation of Israel and the end of the Jewish religion. Jude 3, we've talked about this in most of these uh, series and it's a wonderful passage and I want you to I want to refresh it with you in your mind. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. I want you to think about Everything that's been delivered, not just to you and I and the promises to you and I, but what Jesus delivered to those saints who were alive in that day. Flee. Watch for this. 
And command after command has been delivered. Admonition after admonition. And so if Jesus can sit there and tell the Christians of the first century, you need to watch out and you need to be ready to get out of the city on this day, then he can certainly tell you, you need to watch out. And beware of covetousness. And beware of lustfulness. He can give us admonition on the church needs to have elders and deacons. That you as a people of God need to be zealous of good works. Certainly we need to contend for the faith. And contend for those things. You today need to contend to be the man that you ought to be. That God would have you be. As a woman contend to be the woman that God would have you be. Because if Jesus can contend and tell of these things, I forgot to click the button, he can tell us of all things. I want to tell you something, what Jesus said. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. You know, there's a lot of people today that will say, Well, that don't matter. Don't worry about it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. It matters. You need to contend for the faith. If Jesus said it, it matters. Why don't you notice what Jesus said in John 5? Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good into the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. You know what? It matters. How you live your life matters. Jesus said, there's a resurrection coming and there's people in this room today who will be resurrected to life and there's people in this room today that will be resurrected to damnation. Jesus said that. It matters. So earnestly contend for the faith to be who God would have you be. Because I'll tell you something, God turned his back on Israel. He turned his back on a system of worship that he endorsed because those people turned their back on him. And they didn't follow him with a true heart and with a full heart. And he had, at a point, he, God had enough. He'd let, he let Rome destroy. And it's never come back. I want you to notice the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor. And are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lonely in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, listen to the words of Jesus. He'll forgive. He'll cleanse you. He'll help you. Whatever burden you carry. But you've got to contend for the faith. And there's so many critics out there today that want you to believe it's not true. They want you to believe that Jesus didn't live. They want you to believe there never was a parting of the Red Sea or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. There couldn't have been such a thing as God creating a man. I want to tell you something. Look at the evidence. It's overwhelming. If you start in creation and you stack it all up, my friend, it is overwhelming. Overwhelming the evidence. A look at the words of Jesus. It's just one more piece. It's one more stone on a mountain of evidence. Jesus said that the city would be destroyed and the temple. Not one stone left upon another. My friend, it happened. It happened. And one day Jesus will return. 
And where will you be? I pray that your heart will be prepared in that day. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.